Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 36 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, published on the 21st Sunday after Pentecost, I address the following topics. Um, the upcoming feast days this week is the primary topic of this particular episode, as I've been accustomed to do in previous episodes. I will walk through those, as well as provide some information regarding some of the feasts said only in certain places this week, as well as a forgotten day of fasting that is no longer observed. In fact, is no longer even in the 1962 Missal, but I'll be going over that in this episode. But first, the topic I'd like to cover briefly is the words of Pope St. Pius X on the state of Israel. But before we get into these topics, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by PrayLatin.com. PrayLatin.com offers Latin prayer cards to learn and share prayers in the sacred language. Learn your basic prayers in Latin conveniently on the go. Practice your pronunciation with easy-to-follow English phonetic renderings of Latin words. PrayLatin.com prayer cards come in a variety of formats, including Latin-English rosary pamphlets with the traditional 15 mysteries. Shop for additional Latin resources like missile booklets, server response cards, and much more. Please visit PrayLatin.com today. On to the first topic of today's episode that I'd like to go over briefly before getting into the crux of this episode, which is regarding the upcoming feast days, is regarding the current conflict going on in the Holy Land between uh, Hamas and, and really the Palestinian Authority and the state of Israel. And what would really surprise, I think, a lot of Catholics is the words of Pope St. Pius X. I posted a newspaper clipping of Pope St. Pius X's words some days ago on October 9th. That post has been viewed over 106,000 times, liked over 2,500 times, a significant number of comments and bookmarks, and unfortunately a lot of hate too, because a lot of Catholics no longer understand what the Church traditionally taught. The headline of that article, and I will link to it in the show notes, is No Catholic Should Ever Support, Much Less harbor support for the state of Israel. And this is what Pope St. Pius X said. It's just a quote that he said, and he said this to Theodore Herschel. He was an Austrian-Hungarian Jewish journalist and political activist, and he was really the father of modern-day political Zionism. He was born in 1860 and died in 1904, so long before the state of Israel was created. But he did approach Pope St. Pius X, and ask him to support the creation of a Jewish state. And this is what Pope St. Pius X, a true pope and a holy one, had to say, quote, We are unable to favor this movement. We cannot prevent the Jews from going to Jerusalem, but we could never sanction it. The ground of Jerusalem, if it were not always sacred, has been sanctified by the life of Jesus Christ. As the head of the church, I cannot answer you otherwise. The Jews have not recognized our Lord, Therefore, we cannot recognize the Jewish people. And so if you come to Palestine and settle your people there, we will be ready with churches and priests to baptize all of you, end quote. That is the traditional Catholic view. I have a link in the show notes to two other articles that I think are particularly relevant to this topic. Uh, the first is the heirs of Islam. So by showing our... Um, 
uh, support for one side or the other doesn't mean that we're favoring one religion or the other here, because there's some sort of a false dichotomy here that to be against Israel must be you must be for Islam, and that's certainly not the case. The errors of Islam are very clear, and I've written an article on that before that I would ask you to check it in the show notes. But at the same time, we do not support modern-day Judaism, and we as traditional Catholics cannot support the modern state of Israel. The current Jewish religion is not the same Old Testament Jewish religion. I've written an article on that as well in the show notes. I cannot go over to the errors of both of those religions now, but Pope St. Pius X was right when he said, it doesn't matter who is coming to the Holy Land, we will be there to baptize you because it is only the Roman Catholic Church that is the Catholic religion that saves, no other one. So Jews are called to be saved, and Muslims are as well. What a lot of other people don't realize is that there is still a sizable percentage of Palestinian Christians. Um, they used to be roughly 20% of the population. They're certainly now down closer to 10% as they face significant persecution from Israel as well. And unfortunately, those who are really living in the Gaza Strip right now are no longer able and, and cannot, for, for generations really, access the sacred sites. Even if they're 20 miles from Jerusalem or they want to go to Bethlehem, they can never go there to visit the holy sites. They are basically prisoners in an open-air prison in the Gaza Strip. So what a lot of people don't realize as they're reading the news here is they think it's a war of Islam versus Judaism and people should get in to try to right the ship. But we have to keep everything in perspective that unless souls are saved, nothing is saved. Those are the words of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, and they should animate absolutely all of our thoughts. We are called to bring the salvation of Christ and the true Catholic Church to everybody. Everybody else must convert, and those who are Catholics must strive to live a holier life each and every day. That is the right perspective, and may that animate true peace in the region. May Our Lady of Fatima help bring this about and bring about the reconciliation of these people, but also the conversion of all of them to the true Catholic faith. Now on to the other topic of today's episode. I would like to go over the upcoming feast days this week. uh, Tomorrow, October 23rd, is a feast in some places of the Most Holy Redeemer. It is not on the universal calendar, but celebrated in certain parts of the world. Now, um, this really goes back some time ago, uh, but, you know, the the real... um, time when it really became more prevalent in Rome was when Pope Pius VIII introduced the feast, and by a decree of May 8, 1830, the Sacred Congregation of Rites assigned this feast day for some places to October 23rd. The characteristics of the Mass and the office are joy and gratitude for the ineffable graces and benefits of the redemption. So that's what this feast day in some places is really about. The Feast of the Most Holy Redeemer is this great gratitude for Christ our Lord coming to save us. And as I mentioned a moment ago, it does go back some time ago. Some places really observed this feast several centuries beforehand. If you go back into the 1500s, some places kept this as well. But um, it wasn't really until 1830 when we see it really spreading more uh, in a large way. And the real key congregation and order that keeps this feast day is the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer, which makes sense. And back in 1749, Pope Benedict XIV solemnized the feast as a double of the first class with an octave. On the third Sunday of July, the same congregation keeps the feast as a greater double on October 23rd and February 25th, and has the privilege of reciting once a month the votive office of the Most Holy Redeemer. 
All that being said, because I think the history is, is rather fascinating to see how the liturgical calendar developed, but all that being said, October 23rd is a great day for us to go and pray the colic prayer for that. So if you go to the show notes, I always have a link to the upcoming feast days this week. If you go scroll down October 23rd, Mass in some places of the a Feast of the Most Holy Redeemer, here's the colic prayer. And I almost always have these in these um, little articles. O God, who didst establish thine only begotten Son as Redeemer of the world, and through him, having overcome death, didst restore us mercifully unto life, grant that, recollecting these benefits, we may be made worthy to receive the fruit of that redemption. These are wonderful prayers we can pray and we can meditate on. So October 23rd, tomorrow, let us keep the Feast of the Most Holy Redeemer in mind. October 23rd, though, is also in the 1962 calendar, the third-class feast of St. Anthony Mary Claret. He was beatified in Rome by Pope Pius XI on February 24th, 1934, and he was canonized 16 years later by Pope Pius XII on May 7th, 1950. Now, it was not until John XXIII included him in the general Roman calendar of 1960 and fixed his feast on October 23rd. That is why if you look at a more traditional calendar, really the 1954 liturgical calendar that I encourage a lot of people to reference and to keep, his feast is not either because it was added in 1960. <clears throat> now, St. Anthony, he was born in Spain in 1807. His father was a weaver. He studied to be a Jesuit priest, but was unable to complete his work. Now, he went on to be ordained as a diocesan priest and not a Jesuit. Later on, he founded Catholic uh, orders dedicated to the Blessed Mother, the Missionary Sons of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and an order for uh, Claritian nuns. Between 1850 and 1857, he was the Archbishop of Santiago de Cuba, in Cuba, and later on he returned to Spain and became the confessor in the court of Queen Isabella II. St. Anthony participated in the First Vatican Council in 1868 and 1870, and he is said to have cured many people of their illnesses through the power of Christ. He died in 1870 in exile in France. He also did much to revive the Catalan language. And those who have ever been to Barcelona know that it is Catalan, not Spanish, that is the primary language there. Now, he had the gift of prophecy, and he performed many miracles. He was opposed, therefore, by the liberal forces of Spain and Cuba, and he endured many trials. What is interesting to note is that these miracles are relatively recent. Many of these stories of the saints we hear about are long ago, and some people discount them, saying, oh, those have been you know, hundreds of years ago. There's no way those could be true. And we have somebody here in the late 1800s who has documented working miracles during his life. And, of course, after his death as well, since to be canonized a saint, one must perform miracles after their death. So that is just something for us to keep in mind, is that the power of miracles continue even to this day. Now, moving on from there, uh, if we go to October 24th, the next day, which is this upcoming Tuesday, it is the Feast of St. Raphael the Archangel on the traditional calendar. Now, the Church, having recently celebrated the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel, now celebrates the Feast of St. Raphael. The Feast Day of Raphael was included uh, by Pope Benedict XV for the first time in the general Roman calendar back in 1921, and he set its celebration for October 24th. Unfortunately, after Vatican II, we see all of the archangels, that is Gabriel, Raphael, and Michael, being combined into one feast day, and unfortunately, you lose the importance of each particular one. 
So on October 24th, we specifically remember St. Raphael, Raphael the Archangel. He is known throughout the book of Tobias in the Old Testament. He appeared in human form as a generous young man to protect the younger Tobias and his journey from Nineveh to a city of the Medes. In the process, he found a wife for Tobias and later delivered her from an evil spirit. He also healed the elder Tobias of blindness. Raphael is one of the seven who stand before the Lord. Today's prayer from the Mass speaks of him as a companion in journeys, and the readings show him as presenting our prayers to God. The Gospel is a reminder of Raphael's healing powers as well, because his name literally means God has healed. We should pray to St. Raphael, really for healing especially, and for safety in our journeys. The next day, um, October of 25th, is the feast of Saints Chrysanthus and Daria. Uh, Chrysanthus was the only son of an Egyptian patrician uh, who lived during the, uh, the reign of Numerian. His father moved from Alexandria to Rome, and there the saint was educated in the finest manner of the area. Disenchanted with the excesses in the Roman world, he began reading the Acts of the Apostles. So we see the importance of the scriptures in his life. He was baptized and educated in Christianity by a priest, and his father was unhappy, though, with his conversion, and he attempted to... Uh, four secular ways into his son's life by tempting him with prostitute, yet nevertheless the saint retained his purity. He objected when his father arranged a marriage to Daria, a Roman vestal virgin. And the saint converted his new bride, though, and convinced her to live with him in a chaste state. Uh, vestal virgins took a vow of chastity during their 30-year term of service. They went on to convert a number of Romans. When this was made known to Claudius the Tribune, uh, Chrysanthus was arrested and tortured. His faith and fortitude under torture were so impressive to Claudius that he and his wife and his two sons and 70 of his soldiers also became Christians. For this, the emperor had Claudius drowned, his sons beheaded, and his wife went to the gallows, and the legend says that Daria was sent to live as a prostitute, but her chastity was defended by a lioness. She was brought before Numerian and ordered to be executed. There are many variations to these legends. Some claim that she was subjected to execution by stoning, others say she was beheaded, yet others say she was burned alive in a deep pit besides her husband. They were entombed in a sandpit near the catacomb in Rome. Now, the acts of Chrysostia and Daria state that on the anniversary of their deaths, a large number of Christians had gathered at their underground crypt to pay their respects when Roman persecutors surprised them, filled the crypt with stones, and buried them alive. May their prayers help preserve us in this age of excess when so many people try to askew the great responsibilities of our faith. We see the heroic example of saints like that who went through so much and yet never gave in to sin. October 26th is the feast of Pope St. Verstrius. He was the fifth pope of the Holy Catholic Church. I'll have a link in the show notes to more information if you'd like to study. Uh, but one thing interesting is he was the first to decree that altars should be henceforth made only of stone and that they should be blessed before they are used. So <clears throat> the reason we do not have wooden altars goes back all the way here. Now, he died in the year 112. So when we see instances of people trying to bring back these wooden table altars, it is truly an offense against all the history of Catholicism, since it was decreed, and it goes back to the year 112, that altars are to be made of stone. You can read more about his life in the show notes. Now, October 27th is a particularly interesting day I'd like to talk about, because that is the traditional vigil day of St. Simon and St. Jude, St. Simon and St. Jude.
Now, the day after is the feast day of St. Simon and St. Jude. But the vigil is interesting because this vigil, like so many others, was abolished and is no longer in the 1962 Missal. But if you have a copy of the 1954 Missal and 54 calendar, the one I usually recommend people to use, they'll find this vigil there. And this is an ideal day to fast and abstain because it used to be a required day of fasting and absence in some of the original colonies, amongst other places as well. The feast days have changed over time, and same thing with fasting days over the centuries. Uh, But what is interesting to note is October 27th this year is a Friday, so of course it's a day of mandatory abstinence, but I would encourage everybody to plan to fast this Friday as well, because when we fast on the vigil of the apostles, that helps us better prepare for the feast day of the apostles. As I've talked about before and as I've written about, all of the feasts of the apostles used to be holy days of obligations, at least universally, although all places did not keep all of them. What we can do to better prepare for these important feast days and these holy days is to observe the day beforehand, these vigil days, as days of fasting and absence. And the vigil of St. Simon and St. Jude is one of those days that has been altogether too often forgotten. Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I hope you found this information helpful and edifying for this week. Above all, let us remember to pray for peace in the Holy Land, that Christ will be king of all those there, that the conversion of all will happen, that countries like Lebanon, which used to be over 50% Christian, will return back to those days, and that the Catholic Church will triumph. May God bless you and grant you a most blessed week. Thank you for listening. Ad maiorum Dei Gloriam. Quid olis peccat?